We now begin a new Masechta. This is Masechta's Kedushin, Perik Aleph, Mishnah Aleph, 1-1. And the opening topic of our Mishnah here is the legal act which effects marriage, the part of the marriage called Kedushin, um, which is a kinyan. That means like a transaction, essentially, where there's uh, the rights that the wife has to be a wife and choose to whom she's married, um, gets handed over and assigned to a particular man to the exclusion of all other men. So the question is, um, how does one affect that uh, that transaction to establish marriage, Ishus? The Mishnah says, Ha'isha Niknes B'Shalosh Drachim. A woman, or perhaps more better translated, a wife, is acquired uh, in three ways. Uh, the... The passive voice, it says, Ha'isha Niknes, a woman or wife is acquired, as opposed to um, a man is Mikadesh or a man is Kona, like it says in the beginning of the second parak, is because unlike other things like a divorce, which can happen um, Bal Korcha against a woman's will, it's it's a unilateral decision, or maybe even like Yibum. When it comes to marriage, a woman certainly isn't married against her will, and that being the case, she has to consent to it, therefore it has Ha'isha Niknes, she is acquired as opposed to he does all the action. B'Shalosh uh, Drachim in three ways, and again the Gemara focuses on Shalosh, uh, which is a, a feminine word as opposed to Shlosha, and the reason is because we're talking about here about women getting married. So those three ways are enumerated in a moment. V'Kones Atzum V'Shtei Drachim, she reacquires her rights to marry somebody else in one of two ways. And the Mishnah enumerates those two as well. So first, Nikness, a wife is acquired Bekesef through money, or Shavakesef, which is value, other things of value. Bishtar, with a contract, Uvavia, or by sleeping with her. Now, each of these three things are learned out from Psukim. Different verses establish each one's their own opinion uh, regarding using Kesef, uh, money, or Shavakesef, the equivalent of money. And that's based on the Pasuk, that it says, Kiyikach ish isha, when a man takes a woman, and that's the source for the Ramam's mitzvah doraisa of Kedushin. And that is the word kicha there, yikach to take, is, has a gzer shavata, nasati kesef hasade kach mimeni, when Avram is talking to Ephron about the acquisition of, um, the, the, uh, the field where the Maras Machpelah is, the cave. So, again, he has kach mimeni with money, with take it, you take the money to effect the transaction, and just as the transaction on the field, this happens through a taking of money, so too would um, the kicha of the yikach, of the kedushin of the marriage. For that to work, it's required that there are two witnesses who observe the transaction. Um, those are witnesses that are um, not just simply to confirm that it happened, a debuer, Bureau, but other Edekium, the witnesses that are necessary to make sure it does happen, which is learned from other Psukim that any Dovashaba um, Erva, uh, things that affect marriages or dissolve marriages, must be witnessed by two kosher witnesses. Um, so, in addition, it has to be that because it's like a transaction, it has to be that the woman who is taking this thing of value, nowadays, of course, the customs to use a ring, which is Shava Kasef, has value into itself. Um, so, it can't just be that you give a woman a ring, she becomes your wife. Rather, it has to be that there's a meeting of the minds where the taking of this ring effects a transaction whereby she transfers her rights of marriage to him. So he would have to say something like, Hare at mukudeshet zu. Behold, you're going to be married to me through the taking of this money, and then she takes it in front of the two witnesses.
The second way is bishtar. That's a contract. So that means even though the piece of paper on which it's written isn't worth um, what the requirement is for for kesef, you know, just like the back of an envelope or something, but it says on it, Hare'at mekudeshet li, behold, you are married to me. And again, he would have to give it to her, putting her notice that we're affecting the marriage by you taking this piece of paper, and there have to be two witnesses to watch it. And when he gives it to her, he doesn't need, therefore need to say, because it's written on the paper, but he does need to make sure again that it's clear that this is affecting the Kedushan. So he'd say, this is your Kedushan document or something like that. And then she takes it in front of the two witnesses, and that would affect the the marriage. The basis of using a star is a different, leaving from a different Pasuk. It's the famous um, Hekish that connects divorce to marriage. The Pasuk says, She leaves his house, the first husband from whom she gets divorced, and she goes and she is with the second man. So the Vyatsa Vahaisa, as it's known, Gezer Shava tells you that the mechanisms are similar, just as a divorce is effected through a safer Krisos, a bill, a writ of severance, so too can a marriage be effected with a similar kind of writ, some kind of bill, written, written document that says what's happening. Now, the third is uvavia, that means sleeping together. So that's also would be the same kind of situation where the man would say to the woman, something like, hiskadshi li babiazu, we're going to sleep together and that's going to effect the, the marriage. Um, again, it has to be said in front of two witnesses. Here the witnesses won't actually observe them sleeping together, but they'll at least observe the two of them having yichud, going you know into a, a room privately, and the halach is that hein hein ede yichud, hein hein ede bia. Witnesses who see them go into yichud after a declaration are um, legally equivalent to actually sleeping, seeing them sleep together. So that would affect uh, the marriage. Now, although it's true that uh, bia does affect marriage, the rabbis forbade it. They said it's it's um, it's a chutzpah and pritzus. It's it's uh, totally inappropriate. And that being the case. Um, Although it does affect marriage, if one would marry a woman through Bia, so then the consequences would be Marcus Mardus, which is like rabbinic lashes to the participants, because you're not allowed to do that. Um, it, all, it all affects it. It would work. And even then, just like with Kesef and Shtar, they still can't sleep together after that, Midrabanan, until they have um, the brachos of the Nesuin, and then she would now later on move in to be his wife after that. Now, as far as the kesef goes, says the Mishnah, the kesef, if you're using money, you have to use something worth at least a dinar. Now, a dinar was the like the primary silver coin that they used uh, in Roman times. And this is happening in Roman times. Um, so there was a golden dinar and there was a silver dinar. This is talking about the silver dinar, which is 125th of the golden dinar. Um, and it was sort of like the main currency they used. So the base Shammai's thought is that it has to be at least something of some significant value because if you dip below that, then it's sort of just like um, it's okay. It's just insulting. It's just insulting, and Jewish girls shouldn't shouldn't be treated like you know I don't know kahafker worthless. Therefore, you should use something of, of significance. Uvesil omrim bepruta uveshava pruta basil say listen anything of any value works because anyways you're not buying a woman. You, this is essentially um, essentially a symbolic act, um, which is it had legal ramifications, of course. But no one's saying that the val—it's a transaction where you're giving value for value. 
That's not the point. The point is you're giving her something, a token, um, and her accepting that token affects the marriage. And therefore, anything that has the legal minimum value, which is a pruta, that's the smallest unit of, of, of value, um, that'll be sufficient. Now, the pruta um, says is not as familiar a coin as the dinar. And therefore, the Mishnah asks, V'kamahi pruta, now what is the life of pruta? Echad mishmona be'isar ha'italki. It's one-eighth of an Italian isar. So an Italian isar is the smallest of the silver coins. Um, the actual pruta is, is made of nechoshes, which is really bronze. It's a bronze coin. It's like the smallest coin. It's tiny and it's bronze. Um, there's a bit of confusion regarding the word nechoshes. The word nechoshes really means copper. And metals that come out of the ground found in their native form, like as raw, shiny metal, really only come in the forms of gold, silver, and copper. That's all there really is in the ground. Um, but um, since copper is very soft and doesn't doesn't survive well, they would mix it uh, with tin, mostly copper, but like, you know, I don't know what, 10, 15% of tin, um, which would harden it. And so even though it's mostly copper, it has some admixture of tin. Um, so that's also still called nechoshes. But now it's something called an alloy called bronze. In any case, so these tiny bronze coins were worth an eighth of the Italian isar, also a small coin. Uh, the Ramam says that the value of the isar italki was four grains of barley. Barley grains are pretty consistent in their size, even um, even in much more recent times, they use grain as a technical unit for weight. I mean, even modern times they do that. So based on the study of the barley corn, so the point is in relative terms, it's four barley corns of silver is one isari talki, since the pruta is an eighth of that, we're talking half of a barley corn. And um, when it comes to the dinar, the silver dinar, so there it was its weight was 96 barley corns, which means that there's 192 prutos of value in one dinar, silver dinar of value. Um, as far as actual weights that we're accustomed to. So uh, the the Chazanish puts the weight of of the amount of silver value in a pruta at one fortieth uh, of a gram. So you're talking at obviously a very little bit of silver, little bit of silver. By current silver prices, you're talking like around six agarot, like two pennies of value. Uh, but that's just the smallest unit. So really the pruta functions how in America the penny functions. It's because prices can't become less than a donation of a penny because that's the smallest unit of value they have. Um, in Israel, it's a little more complicated. I don't want to get into it right now, but, you know, penny's a penny or a cent uh, where they have cents like in England and so on. Okay, so that's that. Now, Vakones Atzma, we said there were two ways in which, in which a woman reacquires her marriage rights. So that can happen. Beget uvamisas habal. In one of two ways, either with a get... That means the safer crisis, so the husband gives a piece of paper or whatever it is some written down to the wife on which it says, you are now free to marry whoever you want, and um, and she receives that. That's the get. Also done for two witnesses, like I said. Or misas habal means that her husband dies. If the husband dies, then the marriage is over. Also based on second, but the point is the marriage is over, and she can marry after that whoever she wants. Um, those are the only two ways that she reacquires herself. And even there, there is one uh, footnote, which is a woman who is married to a man who has no children, um, no living children. So then before she can marry whoever she wants, she first um, falls through this process called yibum. Um, She has like a a zika. She has like a bond to her 
surviving brothers-in-law, meaning her late husband's brothers, should there be any, and she'd have to resolve that first either by marrying that that brother through Yibam or by not marrying him but severing the bond through something called Chalitza. And that's what the mission picks up over here. It says, Hayavama, if a woman is in that situation, so then she's Niknes Bevia, simply the, the Yavam, the surviving brother, sleeps with her. Um, there's nothing more or less than that. So it's, that's the continuation of the previous marriage, so to speak. She just kind of moves into his bed. And that's that. And that, that, that consummates the, the marriage and continues it through Yibam. Um, now, while that's true, uh, there's two important comments here. The first is really, technically speaking, that Yibam can occur Bal Korcha, doesn't really require the wife's consent, um, in theory. Um, so that being the case, it's a little strange that it says Hayivama Niknes, which is in the passive voice, just like I said previously, Haisha Niknes is in the passive voice, because in the first part, we're saying that a woman doesn't get married against her will, but here, we're saying she could come to Yibam against her will. Um, so the answer is that uh, the Mishnah is keeping parallelism for the sake of memory. Um, now, Although it's true that all that the Torah requires for Yibam is just that she moves into the brother-in-law's bed, and that's that, um, the rabbis formalize the process by having a, an interim step, something that is like analogous to Kedushin. It's called Ma'amar. So essentially, he would give her like a ring or something. She'd be committed to marry him prior to actually marry him. That would sort of Madurabanan identify that she's marrying this particular brother over the other brothers and so on. Fine. And after that, already she needs this like half married, they need to have a get as well as in the wealth, whatever else, um, to dissolve the relationship if they dissolve it. Um, the other thing that they would need, and similarly, if the woman just never is not going to do Yibum, instead she's going to go separate ways from her brother in law, then she would get her full marriage rights back to marry whoever she wants by the process instead of Yibum by doing um, Chalitza. Now, she does chalitza. Essentially, that means that she takes off the shoe of the surviving brother, any one of the surviving brothers, actually, um, spits on the ground and says, le'isha sher lo es Thus is done to the man who won't build up his brother's home. That's the surviving brother. And then after that, essentially, she's done with the chalitza. She's free to marry whomever she wants. Only one chalitza required for one of the brothers. Or alternatively, uvamisa sayavam, um, or with the death of the yavam, the brother-in-law. So here, as long as there's no surviving brothers-in-law, so then even if she didn't do yibum or chalitza, since her late husband now has no surviving brothers, um, she's free to marry whomever she wants without any further uh, requirements.